this series of lunchtime conversations intends to capture insights from some of society's thought leaders, given the unprecedented times we're living in. The 1st of June and the UK feels it's opening back up. Um, we've had glorious weather and I hear tales of friends wild swimming this weekend. What a difference a day makes as restrictions ease. Part of my role at Warwick University is to make sure our programmes remain relevant and continue to serve the needs of society. To do this, it's important to be part of the research and industry community. The people I'm speaking to in this series form my professional network and I rely on them to inform and help steer our educational offerings. We have seen seismic shifts in all areas of life. The extraordinarily pervasive nature of COVID-19 will have lasting effects. To discuss this, my lunchtime guest today is Dr. Courtney Tepala, Senior Analyst, Regulatory um, Delivery and Strategy at National Grid. Also, having completed her doctorate with WMG at Warwick, and Courtney now supervises and occasionally lectures to our master's students. Welcome to lunch, Courtney. Hello. Mm -hmm. You work for National Grid for the gas division rather than the electricity division. What's the split between gas and electricity use and how, how are they connected technically? So the gas industry or the gas network in the UK, um, I don't think a lot of people know or understand about it. So everyone knows about the electricity grid and solar and wind power, but the gas network actually delivers three times the amount of energy that the electricity grid does in the UK. Um, and it, it does this, um, most of the, a lot of the energy that we um, move around is uh, used for heating and for industrial purposes such as manufacturing and the like. Um, however, the other thing that I think a lot of people don't know is nearly 30 to 40% of all our electricity that is generated in the UK also comes from gas. There are 39 gas power plants in the UK and those will be generating anywhere between 30 and 40 percent on a day-to-day -day basis so even today that's yeah i didn't know that yeah um so even today um on a nice sunny day there's not a lot of heating getting used but 30 percent of all the electricity being generated today in real time is being delivered from gas fired plants um, so we do do a lot with renewables. So there's a lot of solar generation. 25% of today's electricity is being delivered from solar as well. Mm. But gas allows for that flexibility. So when the sun isn't on, gas can give us that consistent delivery load that we need for the electricity network. But do you, um, so technically, clearly, they're directly related. And um, as, a, as a business and kind of strategically, how how are they are they interconnected as a business or do you manage them as separate businesses how does that work so in the uk they're technically separate businesses under the national grid plc so we do have a uk director and she sits on on top in the uk and then we have directors for electricity and gas so oh. operationally they're quite divided but there are other aspects of the business where we do sort of work together. So I work in regulation, which works on our relationship and the rules we have to play and, and build with Ofgem. Because we are a monopoly, we are heavily regulated. What's off, what is, forgive the ignorant question, but what's Ofgem's role in overseeing or governing or regulating what happens? So Ofgem is an economic regulator. So they help to ensure that even though we're a monopoly, 
we still provide value for the end consumer. So they they put mechanisms in place to ensure that we behave as if we're in a competitive market. Um, so they put in innovation um, pots of money for us to work on innovating and improving our network. They ensure that there's incentives for us to that incentivize us to look for how we can lower costs and ensure that we're delivering the best service we can. So they sort of just ensure that because we have to operate as monopoly, because it really doesn't make sense to have multiple transmission networks in the same country, um, that we don't just get complacent and that we do so to value. You are public or are you private? How do we're a private company. We're on the, I do believe we're on the FTSE 100. So um, we have shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, so we are a private company. Is, is Ofgem private too or are they public? How? So Ofgem is a government body. Um, mm -hmm. their, um, their strategy comes from Bayes. So mm -hmm. Bayes sets the strategy, business, energy and industrial strategy. And then Ofgem helped to implement that strategy through an economic lens. Then we also have the HSE who helped to regulate us from a safety perspective. So we have two main government bodies that we really work with there. It's quite um, it's, it's that's an interesting structure to to mimic the behaviour of a private a private competitive non monopolistic structure to try to mimic that behaviour. So I guess um, I mean the series is around the impact of the coronavirus when the measures were put in place to combat the coronavirus and so during the first period everybody was told to stay at home and now um, we've all to be alert and uh, keep our social distancing. How has the nation's energy use been affected by this? So we saw um, immediate drops in energy use um, across electricity and gas. Obviously we don't have the industrial pull as much because industries have sort of um, cut back, we'll see a ramp up of that. Um, in terms of electricity, we've seen almost a 25% drop um, in overall electricity demand, but we've seen um, the peaks sort of flatten out. So um, where you'd normally see the peak for the morning commute, that sort of flattened out. People are sleeping in later, people are, are having more <laughs> cups of tea at later <laughs> times. So you see you see sort of a flattening out of that peak, which is really, really interesting. Um, overall, we expect based on our analysis over the course of the summer, a 20% decrease in, in energy usage across the UK um, because you're just not getting the same industrial demands. However, you're still getting a lot of domestic variations. Mm. That must have big implications on the on the operations and how you handle even pricing and tariffs and in in who numbers of employees and what you do and what you operate is um how 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 agile were you as an organization to respond to that or or isn't that of such big consequence? Um, I think for us as the transmission network, we see it less than a distribution network because the distribution networks are separate and those are the ones that are really connected to the domestic consumer. Mm. Um, so from we see it on the industrial side, but you know, we still have to help move the gas and move the electricity around to eventually get down to the domestic consumer. Um, as far as how we operate as a business, we still have 
key work that needs to be done. And early on, um, there was discussions with Ofgem about how do we define what is key work that needs to carry on, what is work that we can pause to keep our operational staff as safe as we possibly could. Um, you saw that across a lot of the utilities, the water companies did something similar. So um, we, we used our relationship with the regulator to help us define, OK, what's really important and what's less important and how can we you know, manage this workload operationally. Um, as far as the control rooms, it's really interesting what we've done there. So we, we have our electricity control room and our gas control room. And so for the employees that manage those control rooms 24 seven, we set up pods on site for them to live in so that they could stay there and do their work. And then, then they were key workers and not, you know, going home to their families and potentially either contaminating or getting contaminated. So we've asked them to do sort of six weeks since on site um, to make sure that we can manage that interaction or that the um, uh, management of the. I, I want to know all about the pods, but I'm going to save that for um, I'm going to save that for a later date. But yes, I want to know all about them. Um, but contrasting back to um, because anybody overhearing this might notice that you don't have a classic West Midlands accent. Um, so contrasting back to the home country, how does our sort of um, our our structure of energy um, provision in the UK contrast to that in the US? And and do you feel they are? Do you feel we we have strengths or weaknesses? How how can you contrast those two? So when I lived in the US, I didn't really work in our energy industry. So I, I know what I know about the US network, knowing about the differences we talk about here. Yes. So um, the big thing in the US is we have a lot of different states and each state will run its electricity and gas grid slightly differently. Mm. So National Grid does have an, an American arm on the East Coast. So we're in Boston, New York, that area. Um, and actually two thirds of the whole National Grid workforce is in America. So um, so there's there's more American National Grid employees than there are British ones. My goodness, um, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and we we have a lot more flexibility as a business on what we can explore and what we can do. So, for example, in the UK, as a monopoly transmission industry, we're not allowed to own any storage, whereas in the US, there are more options available for us um, and, and more things. We, the, the, the rules are a bit more relaxed and there's still regulation, but they're much more relaxed and less strict. Mm -hmm. Also, in terms of legislation, the legislation in the UK in terms of how we have to maintain and operate our network is much more goal setting than it is prescriptive. In the US, it's a lot more you have to do this on this size pipe with yeah. it's very prescriptive. In the UK, it says you have to keep the pipe safe. And then how we do that is up to us as a business and how that's interpreted can be quite an interesting conversation with the regulator as well. Mm. OK, I, I mean, from that, just from experience from working in different kinds of environments, that feels very much more like a kind of a threshold level that you might have to meet within the US, whereas maybe a more you have more autonomy and 
um, if you are if you are allowed to interpret goals and how you how you see yourself achieving them, it 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 devolves the autonomy back to the providers a little bit more, I think, as to uh, an ownership about the organisations. And yeah. um, I mean another another kind of you know, big topic. A big topic from the coronavirus is, of course, the implications on the environment and the the green agenda. And um, how how do you think? Um, I mean, attitudes have been like shifted a little on that. You know, there's more hope and attention, and um, you know, a more positive outlook. Um, how do you think that will implicate upon strategies and deploying those strategies within national grid and? Will it reinforce what you're already, the journey you're already on and accelerate it? Or will there be that same kind of almost shift, this this kind of donk sideways that maybe has happened with people's realisation of um, how pleasant it is to have a pleasant environment? I think before COVID, we had already sort of entered into this where we've got net zero target. Our CEO announced that last year. Of we got a focus for net zero. We got another campaign of the job that can't wait. So that we're bringing in. Look, we we need a whole new workforce to support you know this green energy industry, and it's a really big thing. Ofgem's new CEO has come in in February, and his vision is we're gonna like promote um, green energy. So there's a lot of momentum. I think this in you know COVID is really gonna help. Just be another catalyst for for us moving into that um but there's already the foundation so at the moment we're in the the last year of our first rio price control and we're working with Ofgem to redefine the next five years of our price control so part of being a regulated business is we have set periods where we talk about what we're going to invest and how we're going to spend money and how we're going to um move the business forward and this is the first price control we're really talking about. What are we going to do about hydrogen? How does the gas industry fit into the green future of it, of energy as a whole? And how do we help that transition? Because mm. if you if you just look at doing solar and wind, you don't have the flexibility that you need that the gas industry provides, and you also don't have um, uh, the capacity really so you, you can't just switch everyone over to electric cars that you charge at home because the electricity grid is not designed for that and yes. it's to handle it so mm. we have to to consider how is gas even though it is a fossil fuel and a polluter and you know not not the best energy source mm. it's got to be a key player in how we transition to that green future because mm. the networks were built 50 years ago they were designed for a completely different use case. Mm. Um, you know, we see a lot of variation happening in the network. We see, you know, prosumers coming in, people with solar powers on their solar panels on their homes. So they're yes. they're contributing to the network, but also pulling from the network. So how do we balance that? And that variation is going to be quite a big challenge as well. But I think I think this will be a good thing overall for us as, as a network and as a business because it will just reinforce stuff that we're already doing it and it might, it might help us speed up a bit. Mm. I, I mean, speaking with you, Courtney, it really reinforces to me, you know, the 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 importance of these kind of big systems modelling. So, and um, you know, the fact that you know, working from home 
electric cars, where we choose to drive to, how we choose to charge them up will have implications upon tariffs for um, for, for generating different types of energy sources and the interconnectivity uh, and the, the implications that it's it's challenging to model such a socially complex economic, technically complex economic kind of system that, um, you know, it, it it's fascinating, but clearly challenging and that, that drive to better understand how to do that. Again, I mean, from your position, you will see, you will see already, you've already shared some nice facts and figures, you know, you already see um, the data that will and underpin real time usage and trends as they go forward. Do you think some of these trends, you know, do you think they'll sustain uh, the, the the changes we've had in our in our way of living? Do you think some of these will sustain going forward or is it about being flexible and adaptive and resilient to respond? I think that there there is there is a point of, yeah, we need to we need to make sure that we are flexible and responsive. Um, I think we will be able to discern new patterns uh, are different from old patterns and, and you can start to do predictive analysis off of that and then you know build build a new system um i think part of it is looking at the bits of the old system that are still relevant and how we might modify those yes. to ensure that we're adaptable and we've got the capacity but we're also you know cognizant of you know we can't spend 200 billion pounds on this we need to make sure that it's value for money and that you know we're we're doing this in in the most efficient way possible as well mm. it's a lot there are a lot of factors yes fascinating industry to be in um now you and sagar your husband and apple the dog um have all been at home over this period so how's that been working out for all three of you well, it's been really good. So my, my husband also works in gas transmission, but he is a safety assurance engineer. So he works with the HSE. I work with Ofgem. Uh, we have great dinner time conversations. Um, <laughs> what does Apple think? <laughs> Apple just snoozing on the floor. I think she finds it all quite boring. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. I think we've been quite lucky. Um, in that you know we've we've been able to have space and been able to focus on our work and do quite interesting things um as far as what we're working on in my team with Ofgem they're keeping us to pace you know they want to keep to original deadlines that have been established so it's just as busy as it was before lockdown um if not more um and I was we were both used to working from home at least a day a week prior to this anyways um, because we had an open office situation with with you know flexible working and hot desking anyways so adjusting to being at home um, it's not too bad we've got good setups there's a lot of video meetings now and so I'm yes. still in touch with the most of my team um, there are do, there are things I miss like it's it's sometimes it's easier to be in the office and just go talk to that team over there or just drop in and say hey do you know anything about this thing that I'm working on? Um, and I hope that we get back to more of a balance because I do enjoy working from home and not having the commute and, you know, having that extra time in the day. But I also enjoy that interaction and that ease of human interaction. So yeah. Yeah. it's interesting to see what 
ends up playing out um, in the long term. I've got uh, other colleagues who are in operations, so they're going on and off site and having to do social distancing and the challenges around that. Um, so they're on sort of a go and site a couple of days a week, but still work from home. And, you know, we've got to balance that. Um, so, yeah, it's I think as a business, we'll find it really interesting and challenging. We're not Google or Facebook, um, but we do have a lot of capabilities for remote working, depending on which area of the business you're in. So. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and thank you for sharing these insights. And, um, you know, for me, um, they're enormously useful, as they always are, and they help steer our educational programmes. Um, and thank you very much for the support you already give our current students and students that we've had in the past. Um, any students listening to this, you know, they can. It's great to have these insights to inform their their current research, and for the wider Warwick uh, community, it is valuable to hear direct from the voice of those that are are helping manage the industries and um, that we're also reliant on. If anyone listening to this would like to hear more from Courtney, please drop me a line and I'll forward it on. Um, I'm on Warwick's website, and if you're watching this on YouTube, follow the link on the closing slide. This series will also be made available as a podcast, so just search Insights Over Lunch on your preferred listening platform. Nothing more to be said, I guess, Courtney, apart from um, enjoy your lunch and please give my best regards to both Sagar and, of course, to Apple. I will do. Thank you, Mary. Uh, thank you.